Welcome to You News, the podcast using the power of Univision to bring the news that matters to you in English. Today is Wednesday, November 11th. I'm Andrea Linares. These are today's headlines. Alarm growing in Washington and across the country. President Trump refusing to acknowledge the outcome of the election as Joe Biden's lead grows in several states. The president citing voter fraud despite no evidence. A number of prominent GOP leaders backing President Trump's unproven claims, including Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell and Senator Lindsey Graham. Experts and officials warning of the damage and the risks in spreading discord about a peaceful transition of power. And a coronavirus crisis is escalating in El Paso, Texas. Mobile morgues being brought in to handle the growing number of dead as the United States now confirms 60,000 people hospitalized because of COVID-19. This and much more today on U News, transmitting live from our newsroom in Miami. President Trump continuing his destabilizing fight for power, refusing to concede defeat and blocking the transition to a Joe Biden administration. His campaign challenging ballot counts, but citing no evidence of widespread fraud. President-elect Joe Biden moving forward to build his new administration, even as President Trump and Republicans try complicating his transition to power. I just think it's an embarrassment. Um, Quite frankly, the Trump administration currently refuses to cooperate with a time honored tradition of a peaceful transition, and Trump insists he will ultimately win. Trump has been filing long shot legal challenges, but has yet to provide any evidence of widespread fraud in the election. Meanwhile, Biden says he could still begin forming a government without access to federal funding and intelligence. He downplayed the possibility of taking legal action. Uh, we can get through without uh, the, uh, the funding. Uh, we're in a position that uh, we feel very good about our, there's nothing that slows up our efforts to put things together. Biden now facing pressure from the left wing of the Democratic Party, which is pushing for him to name strong progressives to the cabinet. On the other hand, his transition team posted the names of about 500 people who will work with the different government agencies. Joe Biden also says he hasn't spoken to Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell. McConnell suggesting he may not recognize the outcome until the Electoral College meets next month. Until the Electoral College votes, anyone who's running for office can exhaust concerns about counting should not be alarming. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo instructed the Justice Department to pursue substantial allegations of voting and vote tabulation irregularities, even as Barr admits none have actually emerged. He has ignored Biden's victory and claimed this at a news conference. There will be a smooth transition to a second Trump administration. And Vice President Mike Pence also at odds with reality, refusing to comment or come to terms with the election results. But world leaders are moving on. British Prime Minister Boris Johnson offered his congratulations in a call to Biden. French President Emmanuel Macron and German Chancellor Angela Merkel did the same. 
In potentially concerning news, the Trump administration has carried out sweeping changes at the Defense Department's civilian leadership structure, removing several of its most senior officials and then replacing them with perceived loyalists to the president. And now we're also learning that the Associated Press has called the state of Alaska for President Trump as the count wraps up in that state. Meanwhile, the president and first lady Melania Trump visited Arlington National Cemetery today in commemoration of Veterans Day. This was Trump's first public appearance since last Thursday. Edwin Pitti has the details from Washington, D.C. Edwin. Hi, Andrea. After days of not being seen in public, President Donald Trump visiting Arlington National Cemetery for the last time as a commander-in-chief to commemorate Veterans Day. Trump was seen standing in without a umbrella in the middle of the rain. This as he was highly criticized for canceling a planned visit in 2018 to a cemetery with Americans killed in World War I, citing bad weather that grounded his helicopter. It was in that trip where President Trump allegedly called fallen soldiers suckers and losers something the White House later denied. But President Trump has been out of the public eye since he delivered remarks at the White House on November 5th, announcing legal actions to try to revert the outcome of the presidential election. But until today, the president had only been seen golfing in his property in Sterling, Virginia. Despite all of that, Trump has been working from the Oval Office. According to CNN, he met yesterday with political advisors to discuss legal strategies to move forward with his intention to remain in power after January 20th. Meanwhile, the Biden campaign is getting ready to take legal actions because Trump's refusal to concede has made it very difficult for Biden to get intelligence briefings and specially resources, since GSA continues to be reluctant to sign the letter that will allow Biden's staff to start the transition inside federal agencies. But overall, Andrea, it seems as if the president is in focus on governing this country. His last intelligence briefing was on October 2nd, the morning after testing positive to coronavirus. His main focus remains to undermine the presidential election with many accusations and zero evidence. Reporting live in Washington, D.C., Andrea, back to you. Up to date with all Washington-related news. And also, President Trump is planning to launch a leadership political action committee as a fundraising arm. The PAC could give Trump significant pull in GOP politics even after he leaves office. Campaign spokesman Tim Murtaugh said Trump always planned to take the step, win or lose. The move could keep Trump on the political stage, funneling money to his preferred candidates in the midterm elections and beyond. He can also use PAC money for his own political activity, underwriting, polling, travel, staff and other expenses. And another election news, North Carolina Democratic candidate Cal Cunningham has conceded to GOP Senator Tom Tillis. Tuesday's announcement dramatically shrinks the Democrats' path to retaking the majority in the Senate. The party poured a significant amount of money into the race to support Cunningham, making him one of the top fundraisers of any Senate candidate this year. Now, their only remaining chance to retake the majority would be to win two expected runoffs in Georgia on January 5th.
And a late-breaking word that Georgia is doing or is going to do a recount, even as Joe Biden's lead over President Trump continues to grow. The president-elect is up by more than 14,000 votes at this point. But today, Republican Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger said that was just too close to call. Raffensperger said the state will work with county officials to complete the recount in time to meet its November 20th deadline for certifying statewide election results. The U.S. breaking the record yet again for the most coronavirus cases in a day and now also recording the most hospitalizations since the start of the pandemic. Governors around the country increasing restrictions, as experts warn, will soon reach 200,000 cases daily. Lorraine Cáceres has more. The U.S. on Tuesday reporting a jaw-dropping number of coronavirus cases, more than 136,000, the highest since the pandemic began. For the last eight days, the U.S. has seen more than 100,000 new cases. Experts warning we're headed to 200,000 cases daily if the upward trajectory continues. I mean, we are watching cases increase substantially in this country, far beyond, I think, what most people ever thought could happen. Dr. Anthony Fauci is concerned that the country is growing fatigued from the pandemic. I hope that the fact that people realize that help is on the way in the form of a vaccine and soon, that that would get them to be even more motivated to do the public health measures, because when you know help is on the way, don't give up. Right now, there are more people hospitalized with COVID-19 than ever before. And around the country, governors are increasingly imposing more restrictions. In Nebraska, new mask and social distancing requirements are taking effect today. Illinois reached 12,000 cases on Tuesday, lines for testing growing longer. In Wisconsin, Governor Tony Evers issued a new executive order advising people to stay home. 5,000 Wisconsinites could be lost to COVID-19 by January 1st if no further actions are taken to get this virus under control. That means another 2,500 people who might not be with us on New Year's Day. Meanwhile, in the Northeast, a concerning uptick in cases in several states, including Maryland and New Jersey, has governors of both states issuing new restrictions on indoor dining. Too many businesses are failing to comply uh, with the state regulations and orders. Sadly, as a result, the virus has returned to our state in a big way. A new study by Vanderbilt's University Department of Health Policy found that in Tennessee, counties with no mask mandate, the death rate was twice as high. The governor there is not considering a statewide mandate, instead pushing local leaders to take action. We've had counties uh, implementing these requirements over the last several weeks. That's how we have uh, gotten to a place where we have about 65% of our population under uh, requirement. We, we expect that'll continue to happen across the state. And the Food and Drug Administration has given an emergency use authorization to Eli Lilly's monoclonal antibody therapy that's used to treat mild to moderate cases of coronavirus in adults and children. And the point is to administer this in a hospital to trigger an immune response against the virus. Back to you, Andrea. Thank you, Lorraine, for that report. 
Meanwhile, Texas has become the first state in the U.S. to register one million coronavirus cases. The West Texas city of El Paso has more people hospitalized than most states. That city being forced to bring in new mobile morgues to handle the spike in virus deaths. Here's Grecia Lastra with the story. Churches are empty. Businesses no different. In the new reality for El Paso, Texas, where coronavirus has taken hold unlike any other place in the country. Based on the number of active cases and the population, one in every 30 people in the county actively has coronavirus. The test positivity rate has been at 20% or higher since before Halloween. Nearly 1,100 people are in the hospital with coronavirus, record levels, and the virus continues to claim lives. He went to work. That was the last time we saw him. That's the last time his children saw him. Daniel Morales, a nurse, fought for weeks. We'd gather in front of the hospital in the parking lot every evening at 9 p.m. And we'd pray because uh, we believed he'd come home. I always have a positive nature where he's going to be fine. He's, going to be, he's just fighting this thing off. He's fighting it. He'll be fine. And, uh, <laughs> Daniel Morales was 39 years old, leaving a wife and four kids behind. It's a pain that's become all too familiar. We're in a dire situation. David Stout is a county commissioner in El Paso and knows the medical examiner may even need more resources. He's also asked that we start looking for an actual brick and mortar situation that, uh, that has refrigerations. In recent weeks, the county judge instituted a shutdown of non-essential businesses. Some are pushing back. Our team members don't have paychecks. If we don't have hours to give them because we can't serve customers, they don't get paid. The state supports the businesses calling the judge's move illegal, pushing for other mitigation strategies. South supports the county judge's order and an extension of the shutdown, especially as numbers across the state continue to rise. When things start getting worse everywhere else, I mean, people are going to have to go back to those, those other places, right? And then what's going to happen in El Paso? But the debate over how to proceed shut down or not These are his ashes. is a back and forth Morales no longer has patience for. We have an empty chair now. We have a void that will never be filled. And you know what? If I lose my house, if I lose my car, I'll replace it. I'll rebuild. But you cannot bring my son back. You can't. And they're arguing over this, and it makes me angry. This is Grecia Lastra reporting for You News. What a heartbreaking story for this family and so many others across the country and in so many parts of the world. And joining us now is Dr. Uche Blackstock. She's an emergency medicine physician and Yahoo News medical contributor. Thanks so much for joining us once again, Dr. Blackstock. Welcome. So what do you see happening today and where do you think we are headed with the numbers that we are starting to see in the U.S.? Thank you so much for having me on today, Andrea. So, you know, I think that we are in um, the worst of the pandemic that we've, we've been in. The numbers that we are seeing, the hospitalizations, um, the majority of the, the uh, country as a widespread transmission of coronavirus. And so what needs to be done is we need actually every single governor to issue mask mandates. We know that masks work. We know that the more people that wear masks, the more uh, effective. Uh, the protection is um, for them and for other people. 
Uh, we also need, unfortunately, uh, restrictions on social gatherings and even indoor dining. And I know that it's difficult for uh, for small businesses and employees, but we have to find also ways to support them through this difficult time because if we don't put those restrictions in place, things will only get worse. Let's talk about that precisely. The number of people hospitalized overnight, 62,000 people are now in a hospital battling COVID-19. What does this tell you? Yeah, this tells us that, and we've already seen it in several states, that hospitals are reaching capacity. And what happens when hospitals reach capacity that compromises the care that they can get, they can give to other sick patients. That means more people are going to die. And so that means that there's not enough room, uh, there are not enough beds, there are not enough staff for other resources, which is another reason why we have to turn this around as soon as possible. Talk to us about the treatment. How has treatment evolved since the onset of this pandemic? Are people more likely to survive now? Because we're also seeing those numbers, the, the mortality rate, I would say, um, drop a little bit. Exactly. So the, so the death rate, even though we're seeing an increase in cases and hospitalization, the death rate is not, go, is not going up and even um, almost being stable. And, and the reasons for that are that physicians and other healthcare workers are learning more about how to take care of patients with coronavirus in terms of you know, oxygen and in terms of medications. And the therapeutics that we have now, while none of them are curative, um, you know, they are helpful to people. So the dexamethasone from Desivir, we just had the Eli Lilly monoclonal antibodies that were just approved under emergency use. All of those actually make a difference. Um, but the whole goal really is that we don't want people to even be infected or hospitalized. Our goal is to get to you know, every American before they can get sick. And the only way we can do that is by practicing these really basic uh, public health prevention measures that we know work. Last but not least, doctor, the holidays are right around the corner. First Thanksgiving, then Christmas. Many are eager to get together with the family. So what are you telling your own family as to how to handle this situation to stay safe and healthy? Right. So we are you know, obviously in a very difficult, challenging time right now. And it, there's no other time we would want to see our family more than right now. Uh, but the fact is, is that this current surge we're seeing in cases is a result of pandemic fatigue, is a result of these small social gatherings with families uh, and loved ones. And so I think that what I want to tell people is that, you know, this Thanksgiving is going to look different. If you must see your relatives, I would suggest quarantining for at least 14 days before you see them and to make sure that you get tested. I would keep uh, Thanksgiving gatherings as small as possible. Ideally, only household members uh, should be gathering uh, together. And again, hand-washing, wearing masks, all of those. But this Thanksgiving is going to be a different Thanksgiving than in prior years, definitely. Perhaps it'll be virtual for many families. Thank you so much, Dr. Uche Blackstock, emergency medicine physician and Yahoo News medical contributor. You take care of yourself. Thank you, Andrea. Thank you.
And another coronavirus news, the CDC has updated its mask guidance. The CDC now says masks protect both the wearer and those around them from catching COVID-19. Previously, it was believed that mask wearing helped prevent infected people from spreading the virus to others. But the CDC now says cloth masks are able to block virus particles exhaled by the wearer, as well as block incoming infectious droplets from others. The agency cited a number of studies that found masks reduce the transmission of the virus by more than 70% in some instances. And in the UK, a government education standards body found that school closures and restricted movement has caused children to regress in basic learning skills. According to this report, some children without good support structures have lost some key skills in math, reading and writing, and some have even forgotten how to use a knife and fork. Some older children have lost physical fitness and are now displaying signs of mental distress with an increase in self-harm and eating disorders. And some previously potty trained younger children have lapsed back into using diapers. More of you news after this short break. Imagine a daily newscast that speaks to you about your world in plain English. Each weekday, we partner with Hispanic America's most trusted news source to bring you the stories from home and abroad that matter to you. They don't know when they're going to be able to go back to work. Victims also from Mexico and this mass shooting. Officials in and out of the residence. We're going to continue fighting. You News covers the news of your world and makes it easy to understand. Your News, your world, You News on Fusion. Welcome back to You News. Along the U.S.-Mexico border, border patrol agents charged with enforcing immigration policy often take the time to snack on food that comes from the other side of the border. And as Jorge Hernandez explains, it's all part of an interconnected economy that oftentimes knows no division between nations. Tamalitos, tamales. This video shows a vendor selling tamales to a U.S. Border Patrol agent through the border fence that separates Mexico and the United States. The vendor tells him that if he doesn't like them, he can return them or he won't be charged. Alejandro, the vendor's boss, says that is the slogan of Tamales Cali, his business located in the border of Tecate in Baja California. If they don't like them, we give them as a gift. And the migra likes them? Well, I think he took them. Hundreds of people across this part of the border every day. Here, everything is sold, from handcrafts to food. And the biggest client? U.S. Border Patrol agents. Don Jesus sells popsicles and water and said that it is very normal that the U.S. Customs and Border Protection officers buy his products. They have asked me for popsicles and, well, I sell them. Trade through the border wall is part of everyday life in this part of the border. Practically everyday products such as burritos, tacos, flour tortillas, soft drink, and water are passed through the bars of the border wall. Pandemic crossing restrictions have reduced the number of people passing through here, but business has grown thanks to the rise in the number of U.S. officers. We used to go to the wall and they would pay us in dollars, and it is good that there is trade. That means more money. The residents are happy with this unique trade set up through the wall bars. There is no other way. If they cannot cross the border in person, at least the tamales can cross. It's the business. People have to get ahead. They have to survive. And although most products are sold to motorists, the wall is still complicit in the system of international trade. Jorge Hernandez, U News.
Thanks for listening to You News, the podcast. Don't forget to follow You News on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review. And join us tomorrow for a new episode. Until then.